Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster, a managing partner at Invader Comics and the writer of both Kadoja and Three Protectors. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders Milisanda for the Accidental Aliens. Yeah, man. First things first. Uh, you, I pop you a freak a, all you, the honeys, bunnies, Playboy bunnies. <laughs> you you popped a glorious top right before we hit record. That glorious ASMR sound. Yes. That, unless is is the S in ASMR sound? Is, is it like ATM machine? So. Like, am I being redundant by saying ASMR sound? Yes, I am. I believe okay. so. I believe so. Okay. Well, but that's like so, DC Comics. DC stands for Detective Comics. It's Detective yeah. Comics Comics. D- DC Detective Comics Squared. Um, okay, so a- after that glorious ASMR, uh, what what are you drinking? So I switched my hard seltzers. So thankfully, on our Phoenix trip, we actually managed to knock out all those nude seltzers that I had from Costco months ago. <laughs> finally got through 24 of them. Um, and I switched over to Ashland. So they finally had... A, uh, they they were out of stock on their Kirkland hard seltzers, which I was doing forever because I really enjoy them, and they're a really great rate. It's like twenty bucks for twenty four cans, nineteen ninety nine, and these Ashlands I believe were twenty two, and I was like, hey, three bucks more, and I like Ashlands. I've had them before. It's a San Diego based company, so I always like to support local. Um, not like their mom and pop anymore. They're in Costco for goodness sakes, but hey, yeah. why not? So, yeah, I got an Ashland hard seltzer. This one is a cherry lime blue raspberry. So, uh, sounds that's good to me. That's a lot of shit going on. That's like, that's like everything. That's me, like every fruit. How, do, how does that possibly work? Oh, it always works in this case. <laughs> like Colt 45. That's right. Works every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is pretty solid. I have some nice, they have some nice uh, mixtures in that box. That was another thing I was actually excited about. Oh, nice variety pack. Yeah. yeah. So, it was like a, there was an orange pineapple a like mango peach mm. this one a fruit punch i was like all of those are winners like not one of those do i not want to have yeah and you're just speaking to the future of the podcast because you're going to be drinking those on air for a while these next couple weeks right? i do believe so nice how about you my friend what do you got uh so i i was saving this uh i got this through tavor and it is the I guess it's Temblor Brewing Company, Ooh. and it is the Chocolate Pecan Porter, or Pecan, depending on how you say it. So here we go. And it is good. It is good. I, I Dude, I am I am almost out of beer. It is crazy. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Does that... Okay, so does that taste... Is it similar to, like, a um, maple? Like, does it have similar hints? Because I find that pecan stuff and like maple stuff like depending if they're in drinks or something they kind of have mm-hmm. a similar flavor to it i would say it's a hint of it you okay. know the i mean porters i don't know like like the the oversimplified way of me saying porters is they feel like uh, weak stouts or like it's like it's like the coors light version of a stout is a porter absolutely i i i that 100 percent makes sense to me it totally yeah. makes sense i get it yeah, so I mean, I like it because it is, you know, because I look because I drink stouts year round. As listeners of the podcast know, I have no problem drinking a stout in the middle of goddamn summer, which we're almost in right now. Um, but porters do feel a little more summery because they're lighter, you know. And uh, so yeah, this is a whole lot of porter, a little bit of chocolate, and a, a hint of pecan. I don't really taste the pecan, um, but we'll see. Then again, I just I always like uh, having chocolate right before I drink any beer. With the yeah, I'm just about any beer. I just like having a piece or two of chocolate, and uh, that 
you know, it goes even better with a chocolate pecan porter, but it also might not give you the flavor because you're still enjoying this this chocolate you got going on. True. Anyway. True, true. Um, so what was the first thing you did this week, man? Here we are. Uh, okay. I would say the, the thing I should talk about first, number one, the Kickstarter. So first off, we both have Kickstarters running. So yes. go check those out. Those are in our IG bios or our social media. And congratulations, bios. because yours is funded already. Where mine is on, mine is a on is the a cusp. putt that was yeah. It was just it was a putt that was left short on the lip of the hole, and someone just needs to tap that bad boy in. That's how close I am right now. That's funny. I'm actually going golfing tomorrow. Uh, Hell yeah! Yeah, I'm not. I'm not well, much. Don't of a have golfer. that happen. Yeah, you knock that putt right in the center of the That's fucking right. hole, man. Just get in your home. You too good for your yeah. home. Uh, <laughs> okay, so. With that said, it was a mad dash. So we both released our Kickstarters on June 6th. I, you started prepping your Kickstarter a week or two prior to the Kickstarter. I started the Kickstarter on June 5th. Yeah. <laughs> I did everything that Sunday. Um, and, and we had things to do. We visited my mother. Uh, we did something else. Honestly, I can't remember at this point. Um, but we had a lot going on on Sunday. And I basically stayed up until 2 o'clock in the morning just doing all the Kickstarter stuff, maybe even 2.30. Mm. Uh, I had to create all the graphics. I had to create all the tiers, everything. Ground zero. I did nothing. Not one thing was done prior to that Sunday. And mm. uh, I managed to finish everything by 6 o'clock. I was just like, you know what? I can get up early and create these graphics. But uh, my girlfriend fell asleep early. Uh, which left me to my own devices, which is me working. And I love to work. I'm a night owl. So I was able to stay up pretty late. And I just knocked everything out. I was pretty happy. And uh, to the point where even the next day, I created a Kickstarter video. And we've talked about that privately. I don't think we've mentioned that on the air. And um, do you need a video for your Kickstarter? Honestly, not really. Uh, I think a lot of people don't even watch them. Uh, I think the last time I checked the the data that Kickstarter provides you, I think only six people had watched the video. And it's just like, mm. okay, well, you know, it was easy enough to do on my phone. And especially the way Wanderers is drawn, I do landscape panels for the whole thing or single page spreads or double page spreads. That's my rule for Wanderers. Um, I don't know why. I like it. It keeps it simple. And it makes me challenge myself in other ways. How can I make these panels this panel looked different from the panel before it and after it. So it's it's all about finding the balance in your page and keeping it interesting while sticking to that widescreen format. Um, so, but anyway, the reason why that's important is I can cut those panels up and put them into the iMovie app that's on your iPhone or your iPad and easily just put uh, my pitch for Wanders on top of it. And that's, that's what the whole video is. It's just a bunch of panels from this issue. And a thousand years in the future, we start colonizing other planets, etc. So uh, it was pretty easy to do. Take didn't take me very long. And I just had to rearrange the panels into what made sense according to what line I was saying. You know, whatever the next line was, I had to put the appropriate panel there, um, you know, for the action. So um, pretty easy to do. I'm glad I knocked it all out. And, you know, like you said, it already funded. And I think as of right now, I'm at like 850 or 860, something like that. And mm -hmm. um, we got a lot of time to go. Uh, mine's running until July 1st at noon. So I'm hoping I get a couple of thousand in there. 
And uh, the beautiful part about this one is I'm so used to doing Kickstarters for Second Shift. The, the amount that I need in order to like have the whole team get paid, like including myself, which I almost never pay myself to do these books. Like it just goes into the savings pile. And I guess in that sense, I do pay myself because it's, you know, it's just like essentially when it comes to these Kickstarters, I'm a one man team. I'm mm-hmm. basically doing it all like, and like I'll pay, you know, I pay Ed once the Kickstarter rolls through and I ship everything out and I print all the books, all that stuff. Um, then Ed will get paid. But before that, everyone else is paid because me and Ed are like, we're partners on, on our books. So he knows it's like, Hey, I got to go through the process first. Then once I get done, you know, I'll I'll give you your cut. And, and so, you know, he gets paid and then I kind of pay myself. (laughs) So, but uh, everyone else gets paid before that. So anyway, all that to say, I need a a lot less dough in order for all of us to get paid. So it's kind of nice. We're actually on the brink of the whole team getting paid. So, you know, I think in the next week or so, that's going to happen. And then it's all uh, um, uh, stretch goals, stretch goals from there. Nice, dude. Yeah, you're making me think. I think I should still do a video. I mean, it's only been three days, three and a half days since I launched. And I would, mainly I think I'd like to do it because it's it, the music is nowhere in the campaign. And there is music, right? People who back it get a couple free songs or songs that are part of the package, I guess is a way of putting it, right? Like, you know, you get the experience. And I think I want people to be able to hear that, you know? So, I mean, it's death metal, so that seems important, you know, to kind of have that whole thing and have the, the metalness of the whole thing be intensified. So I wouldn't be surprised if after we record, I just, I'll do something quick. You know, it's one of those things of, look, let's go inside baseball here. All I really have to do is like, speak to the camera the whole time but i'm not going to be on camera a lot of the time you know like i'll i'll basically do an intro and an outro and then if i see anything that's interesting i'll keep that part where i'm addressing the camera it allows me because of editing i can just mess up and keep going and mess up and keep going and then i can edit the audio and then i can you know basically put cool art over the video put some music in and then i'll be good to go you know so sounds like yours is pretty straightforward right you give the pitch you talk a little bit about the book and that's that and that's what i'll do with kadoja with maybe a little bit of an emphasis on volume four right the symphony of madness arc and how it's the the ultimate arc and blah 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 so anyway um by the time you guys get this actually um let me think about this well the kickstarter will have one day left for me (laughs) but uh scott will still have a, a long time on his so if you're getting this and uh and it's in morning uh then yeah go do it um otherwise um you can always hit me up later. Right on. But uh, all right, that's cool. That's cool. So that was your first thing. Um, I, you know, I I did a fair amount of Kickstarter stuff, but number one, I did a lot of mine in advance. So I've talked about it over the last uh, couple weeks anyway. And number two, I, I don't really see the need to kind of go over what you did. You know what I mean? Some of what you did, I did. And making Kickstarters is making Kickstarters. So for me, the first thing I'll talk about is what I did last weekend, which was Monster Palooza. So back-to-back conventions back-to-back weekends and of course now i'm off for quite a while my next show is going to be barring some unforeseen thing it's going to be emerald city with you in in mid to late august so i get a couple months off and i'm you know i'm going to do some other things during that time but uh but mainly the this was my second convention in two weeks and now i'm off for a while so monster palooza does a lot of things that i like i'm not going to say does a lot of things right 
because it implies that you know there's some absolute right. But I will say that the way Monster Palooza does their convention is very aligned with how I I would do a convention if I did one, right? And the first thing is that the so number one, I outsold what I did at Phoenix. I actually did better at oh. Monster Palooza than crazy. I did at Phoenix. Yeah, I mean, it, it took a little bit of a, a kick on Sunday to do it, and I wasn't sure I was going to be there, but then I got that kick. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was a different vibe, but, yeah, man, I made it, you know? So uh, it was it was a great it was a great thing. And, um, hey, Giant Monster Comics at a, a, a monster horror convention are a pretty good fit, it turns out. And uh, much like Phoenix, there really weren't a lot of people there that were looking for comics or buying, that were there to buy comics, even though a lot of them did end up buying comics. Of course, the other thing that I, I talked to you about or we had built up to is that uh, I sold out of this printing of Volume 1, so I can now go to the third printing. So I, I've already quoted that out, and I'll be ordering some more copies, and so it's seamless. So by the time people you know see us at Emerald City, then I'll have some copies of Volume 1. It'll just be the third printing. So aside from that, though, one, one other thing about the table, which was fun, which was this was the first show where I, will, I was able to sell some three protectors. Right, I got the oh, three right protectors on. in, so uh, I was actually able to beat Diamond a little bit. So people that got the Kickstarter, that backed the Kickstarter, when this airs, the books will be going out this week or will have gone out already. So the Kickstarters uh, will be going out or have gone out by the time this episode airs. But the Diamond copies, I believe their street dates next week. But I had them, so why not sell them? And uh, it was great, man. It was great. It was great to see people's expressions when I said it's kung fu in space. Right. Like and and I was pleased that I sold as many as I did, given that it was a monster horror convention. So, yeah, man, out of the gate, it was it was nice to see. You know, it was nice to see the response and people are excited to read it, which, of course, makes me excited. So good stuff there. Um, now on to the convention itself. Oh, hold, so on. The cool one, thing, one, hold on before yeah, you move sure. on to the convention. Of course. So you said you sold out of your second printing of yes. volume one. OK, so. I know you had a certain amount of copies, and then after those were gone, you're like, I got to work on the pitch to sell oh. volume two and yeah. volume three, you know, without the first volume. How'd that go? Yes. It went fantastic. Um, I I did not have a single person, like, I, I, every single person that I gave that pitch to that was interested enough, I got a sale out of, if that makes sense. Oh, wow. Like, there wasn't a person where they said... So for every single person that asked for a volume one, where's where's the beginning? Where's volume one? And then I gave that version of what I say, the pitch. Um, every person ended up walking away with at least a volume two, which was pretty cool. Nice. Um, so the way, yeah, the way that I that I basically pitched it is that volume one is summarized on the first page of volume two, and while it's always more fun. It'll be more fun in the future to go back and read volume one next time you see me or, or on the web store or something. You can pick up the story just fine. You know, it's a lot like Godzilla films. You don't need to see the first one to enjoy the second. Ah. Um, part of the part of the caveat that I gave people is you. I, I actually said it's like the Matrix films, but all three are good. You know, it's like <laughs> the you know, you you can see the first Matrix film and it's self-contained. You can see the second Matrix film without much knowledge of the first film, although it helps, and enjoy it. But you absolutely cannot see the third film without watching the second. You know, like two and three are a matched pair. And that's the way I say it. I, I would not recommend just going cold into volume three. But you sure can start in volume two and then go into volume three. And as a result, a lot of people said, okay, cool, I'll do two and three then. 
that nice. kind of thing. So, so yeah, man, that was really cool. So, yeah, great question. I was texting you all weekend about that, about how I was, all right, I'm, I'm trying to think of how to do this and blah, blah, blah. Of course, I stumbled every now and then when I was first saying it. But the good news is a lot of volume two starts like volume one. In volume one, you jump into the story and Kadoja's on the rampage. In volume two, Kadoja is in captivity, breaks free, and is on a rampage. <laughs> you know, so so there are some nice parallels that are there at a top line level. But then a couple quick things about Monster Palooza. Number one, it is an industry convention. You know, like it is a fan convention meets an industry convention. You know, I, I'd say twenty to thirty percent of the attendees are are in the industry. Like these are the people that make like the prosthetics and the makeup and all those things that go into a lot of horror movies or a lot of horror shows that people see and some things that aren't horror. Um, You know, to give an example, I can't remember if I texted you about this, but before the show opened on Friday, like you look over and you see Jon Favreau just talking to somebody, right? (laughs) Because, because A... The, the people like that, they're going to show up before the show opens because they want to get the hell out of there so that people don't, you know, mob them and do all that stuff. It's it's very reasonable to, to understand that, you know. And then number two, they probably have done a ton of work together, you know, because those people are making these masks and costumes to the shows that these kind of people do. And again, that's just one out of a bunch of people. It's a very high profile one, but tons of people in the industry are there. You could overhear actors walking down the aisles, having conversations, people talking about being on movie sets, you know, all that kind of stuff, which really enhances the vibe. Um, The second thing that makes Monster Palooza awesome, as I was hinting at before, is the hours. Friday, it goes six to 11 and Saturday and Sunday, it's just 11 to six. That is a sprint by comic convention standards. You know, like 11 to 6 is just so easy for me to do because I've been conditioned to these 10 to 7, 9 to 7 kind of days. And so just getting those few extra hours back feels like a half day. You know, it's wonderful. And, uh, you know, the the attendance was great and people were showing up and, and there sure wasn't a dip in spending. So, again, this is one of those... If people out there happen to run a convention, take a note or let the other people know that run these conventions. Like, more is not better. Longer does not really help a whole lot of people. It helps a few people, but it I think it ends up, you know, kind of annoying or hurting a bunch of other people. And then the final thing I wanted to mention is the alcohol, right? Is that Monster Palooza isn't just okay with you drinking alcohol. They sort of want it. They sell all kinds of alcohol there. People walk up and down the aisles with, I saw at least 10 different kinds of drinks that you could get at the concessions there. It was, it was quite cool. You know, again, like I, I don't have a drinking problem and, and I like people that are like, yeah, we know you can be responsible with liquor. Just have a drink and enjoy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And random fun stat. I actually made two sales to people that were two fisting alcohol at the time. <laughs> one per- one person came up with a glass of wine in each hand and put them both down so they could uh, talk about Kadoja. And then they ended up buying something. And then somebody else was walking around with, with two cans of beer. Same thing. So, Hey, you got to beat the lines. Exactly. That's what I was about to place? say. I was like, they probably just don't want to get back in line. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that was why. I just thought that was hilarious. That's so excellent, it- man. That's very cool. Uh, I think I yeah. attended two shows where they sold beer at the show. So you got to love those. Yeah. Um, it just keeps everyone nice and loose. It loosens up their pocketbooks a little bit, you know, and uh, everyone's a little bit happier, I think. Yeah. And and there are a couple shows, such as Denver Comic Con. Where they not only sh- like they not only sell beer, 
they get a special beer made for the convention. Oh, wow. Like, that's that's my favorite thing, or one of my favorite things about Denver Comic Con, which I can't do this year due to my own schedule. But they team with Breckenridge Brewing and get a special beer brewed up just for the convention, which I love. So they've had some really good ones. They had a Rasnarok a couple years oh. ago, which was fantastic. They had, uh, I remember Snapercot. That was also, that was arguably my favorite, actually. And they have a bunch of others. They're, they're all comic. I think they had I Am Brute. Uh, it was a lager, <laughs> <laughs> right? Which was which was pretty great. Lager, and, uh, so, yeah. I get it. I see what they did yeah. there. Yeah, they have a they have a great time with it. So anyway, uh, shouts shouts to the Denver Comic Convention. It is really one of the best. Um, but anyway, so that was my first thing, man. What about uh, what about your second thing? Uh, so, okay, so with the Kickstarter going, I have basically until July first to try to get everything done for Wanderers Three. Um, like I've talked about on previous episodes, this is going to be a tight turnaround for me. Normally, I like to give myself a few months just to get everything in order. Um, a lot of times. When I'm doing Kickstarters, it's with the second shift, and Joaquin is usually coloring it as the the as the uh, Kickstarter is going. So, but in this case, this is all on me. You know, it's all zipatones, and you know, I'm taking full like full on lettering duties now. Like um, Tristan, uh, it unfortunately, is a little too busy these days, and honestly, I, f- I feel like I am in a nice groove with my lettering. So. Um, I'm just tackling it all. So it's my responsibility to try to finish all of that by July 1st. So yeah, this, the Zipatones are the first at bat because I find that lettering's a little bit quicker. You know, um, you can do three to five pages in a day depending how much time you really have. And so with with this, I find that I can do one one page of Zipatones a day. So I have, I think, about 22 to 23 days at this point. Obviously, that'll be different by the time this airs. Um, But I think I can hit that. I think I have around 15 pages left. And I'm doing a pretty decent job at finishing a page a day. And I think there are a couple of pages in there where I can probably do two in a day. So, um, yeah, it's everything is on pace. Everything's moving very quickly. I still have some other stuff that is pending that is not the Kickstarter stuff. So it's kind of like trying to balance doing these these Zipatones as well as my freelance work. So, you know, I have a couple of clients that have been waiting. Um, one client that texted me, I think, three weeks ago and just never followed back up with me because I opened it while I was in the middle of something. And I was like, I don't have time to deal with this right now. And then, like, you know, I went about doing whatever I was doing. He never called or he never texted me back after that. And uh, he hit me up today. He's like, hey, man, just wondering if you got my text and, uh, you know, I need help doing this. And I was like, oh, dude, I'm so sorry. So that thing is on the plate and uh, I got to work on that tomorrow. So but it sounds like a quick fix. It's just like some things going on with toy designs that um, it's just not working out with the toy maker. They're like, look, this needs to be different. And so he told me what he needs to done and i feel like i could turn that around pretty quickly okay that's cool man i mean you know work work's not a bad thing um it's just it it is funny the way the cosmos kind of aligns to where you know when you're at your busiest is when you kind of get the questions too you know and when you're at your quietest is when you're like man i wish i could have spread some of this out but that's that's not how the universe works sometimes right yeah and Um, you find that i mean at least i find that i can do i can do the work it's just, I kind of have to have my back up against the wall sometimes. And that's when yeah. I really get shit done. So it's just like, yeah, yep. the 
the Kickstarter prepping everything, getting that all done in a night was was impressive by my standards. I was just like, oh man, I really did it all up. Oh, and, and, and since I'm talking about that again, we both got the projects we love by Kickstarter. And yes. so that's always a nice little little perk to have. Um, mm-hmm. Let's hope it translates into uh, more backers. Um, yeah. So it's definitely cool. But yeah, that's, I it's think great. that's yeah. the first time I mean, I've It means it. Kickstarter is going to do some work for you, right? That's like the, the way that I, the, the best way I can say it works is that some, when, when the Kickstarter is all said and done, somewhere between 15 and 20% of your sales will be from Kickstarter hustling for you. So it basically creates a nice extra bit of it. I am sure at the tippy top end of the spectrum, Kickstarter works even harder for the ones that are just like crushing it. Like, you know, what was it? Brandon Sanderson's lost novels that made like $21 million on Kickstarter or something like that. You know, it's like, yeah, trust me, man, that's the one that needs more help. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're, they're not just slapping a project we love on it and letting it sit, you know, but, uh, and, and they don't do that. They put you in emails, they put you in people's inboxes, you know, with, Hey, here's some things we think you might like that kind of thing. So you do get a really nice marketing bump to where you could expect at least 15 to 20% additional sales from from kickstarter hustling for you so that's it's it's a good thing yeah that's a hope man yeah let's uh let's get that done people <laughs> let's get yeah. that done kickstarter yeah kickstarter i got one question for you yeah man. how mentally intense are zipatones compared to lettering which i have said before are you know lettering's kind of soothing you don't have to think that hard but how hard do you have to think for zipatones compared to lettering well initially it's very rough um to use that same same comparison to uh, learning an instrument, you know, mm-hmm. or I don't know, learning a new language. Initially, it's very difficult, and then after a while, you s- kind of start getting used to it. You get the hang of it, and so whereas it's not as soothing as lettering, because lettering, I mean, it does kind of become a process. It's like you just figure out your process and you move from there. So my process is finding the lighting. Okay, where's the lighting in each panel? And once you get that done, like you kind of go from there. So I I do one of two things first. I either do the gradients first to to kind of like boost that lighting effect, or I do the the shadows, the cell shading, which also is effect from the lighting. It's like okay, the light is coming from you know your top right, so everything in the bottom left is cast shadow. So it's it's. Not as soothing as lettering, but once you get the process down, it kind of becomes in a way. Um, there is more thinking involved when it comes to this, but it's not as difficult as when I first started it. So um, okay. I'm enjoying the process, but I just want it to be quicker because <laughs> time is of the essence and there's so much going on. So yeah, I man. definitely I'm trying to hustle as fast as I can. But I would say difficulty scale, drawing hardest, then this and then lettering. Okay. Okay. So on a, on a, not, not as hard as the hard stuff, but not as easy as the easy stuff. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So I guess for my second thing, it's, it's, <laughs> we're going to talk about the novel a little bit and we're going to talk about the reintroduction of, of a, a person near and dear to me, unfortunately. And so with a, with a month left in the novel, what my days are like. So I'm, I'm kind of in that final mode of like, is the novel ready? You know? And then I might listen to a podcast where a, where a person's query letter comes through and, it, and then the, the agents will say, for the ones that are bad, you're kind of like, ah, okay. I don't, 
I'm not worried. You know, that kind of thing. But for the ones that are good, where it's like the language is so good, it's kind of like, is the is my language good? Are my sentences good? And then it's kind of like, <laughs> dolt. <laughs> Sorry, I have a, I have a, what is this? The Ashley Wood uh, MA3 or something. Uh, Dr. Doom, right? So Victor Vaughn shows the fuck up and he's like, dolt. Your language is not good enough, right? So I'm like, okay, Victor Vaughn, I fucking get it, right? Like, so then it just ends up being this this thing of self doubt, you know, or or it'll be something else, right? Like, they'll say, oh my god, what I love is how great your lead character has developed themselves, and it's like, Victor Vaughn, <laughs> Dolt, your lead character is not developed enough, and your interiority is weak, you know, that kind of thing. So it's it's really been a relentless assault in the final stages of, of Victor Vaughn. He's basically like my final boss I have to conquer before this fucking novel. Um, and that said, I, I do know how to vanquish Victor Vaughn. I feel pretty good. You know, there's, there's plenty of ways to do this. You, you tell yourself, Hey, it's been, it's been four and a half years. You've done the work. You put in a lot of work. You know, you're not, you're not Keith. You're not writing literary fiction. You're writing upmarket fiction. Have we ever talked about what upmarket is or no? No. Okay. So I asked my, my novel instructor, and, and uh, the answer is right here. I told him, like, I think, I think my writing is better than what we would call commercial writing. You know, so just fast, easy, poppy, that kind of thing. But I don't think my writing's good enough to be considered literary. And, and I don't put the care into every single sentence the way literary fiction does, right? So the best way to, to, to kind of think about it would be if you have peak sentences, right? Your sentences that are supposed to be like the money, the payoff. In literary fiction, those peak sentences are basically every sentence. You know, like the amount of care that you want to devote to your writing at a sentence level is so high. At commercial, meh. You know, like you're here to tell a story. You're here to have great characters. You're here to check all the boxes that a novel has. But you're not necessarily into like really lush well-crafted sentences all the time. Upmarket is splitting the difference. So when I asked my novel instructor, is there any kind of term that exists for something between commercial and literary? The answer is upmarket. Mm. So when I when I think of my book as an upmarket thing, that's what I'm thinking about, you know? So, um, I mean, again, I've done the work. I feel pretty good. There's still a little bit of work to do. But like we've talked about before, a lot of these changes that I'm doing, they just sort of make stuff different. And that is the, you know, flashing exclamation point over your head that tells you this novel's pretty much done. You know, there's a little bit more work that has to be done. I have a couple things that I need to do, but I still have time. And again, this is my own deadline, you know. So because of my schedule, I can either finish the book June 30th, July 6th, or July 24th, depending, because of the way my schedule is. But Maybe it's better just saying by July 24th or sooner I will be done because of my schedule. But we're close. That's the bottom line. We're close. And uh, barring something catastrophic, then I'm going to be shopping agents in the month of August. And so here we go. Nice, and then I can just And then I can just take Victor Vaughn and I can go put him over here back on my shelf. And then he can, he can hang out in the next novel because he'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> he always comes back. Oh, he'll be back. He'll be back. He's right there looking at me right now. That's, That's nice, man. It, it's great that you're at the home stretch here and and uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel. So, very good. Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always nice, you know, because yeah. 
writing a novel is, is its own satisfying endeavor. Obviously, I hope more be- becomes of it, but writing it on its own is good, and uh, it'll make the light of day one way or the other. I'm confident. Nice. Uh, my last thing for the day or the week is uh, I finished the Kadoja cover. So I got the coloring yes, back, as we talked about a couple episodes ago, from Joaquin. Um, there was some adjustments that I wanted him to do. Um, uh, I think the squid head guy that was falling, I, did, I his suit was a little too light for me, so I had him darken the suit up, and uh, we fixed the color of the gums, so they were more of a rockish color as opposed to a fleshy color. And yes. uh, I did the cover treatment. So I added the logos, uh, the Kadoja logo itself, the Invader logo, um, and uh, your guys' name across the top. So uh, we haven't talked about it on the pod officially, but it is a uh, homage cover to Venom 3, and that is the first appearance of Null, I believe. Um, it was a very popular cover, very striking, a giant Venom head at the bottom of a page, and I believe it's, uh, I think it's Peter that's falling towards Venom. Mm-hmm. So it was a very popular cover. They did like, there's been so many variations of that cover, and I thought that was perfect to do a homage of, uh, with Kadoja being a giant monster already. It just made sense to me, and mm-hmm. I think it came out pretty cool. Like I think Joaquin's I colors, um, and then mixed with the cover treatment itself on there, I think it really mimics what the original cover looked like, and that's what I wanted. I wanted it to be as close to the original as possible. So uh, people could really get that homage vibe. I, I agree. I love it. I mean, like like we probably didn't do on the podcast, there is a very short period of time. I, I mean, look, I even recognized it on my own where I liked your semi-finished cover, which was flats more than the final cover for all of like five seconds. And then I was like, well, wait a minute. I like that because that's my sensibility. And the whole point of getting someone else to do a cover is to step outside of your sensibility is to get something different. And so even even by the time I asked that, it was like, wait, hold this thought, table it. Let me go get some objective opinions from people that, you know, that I can just show all the covers to and see what they like. So, yeah, man, it came out great. And I will say that it it's amazing how much better it looked. It looks good anyway, but it's amazing how much better it looks once you drop the titles and the logo into it, the credits and the logo. You know what I mean? Because now it just, it brings it together and makes it whole, you know? And, you know, some, t- I mean, we we have an obsession with Virgin variant covers and all that stuff, but in, in this case, I really, I really do enjoy the credits being there and the title being there. It just, for whatever reason, it brings it all together. I agree. Yeah, I like, I like the cover treatment being on there more so than just, the art itself and i don't know if it's just because for me personally it it was made to be an homage and if it doesn't have all of the elements of the original cover it bothers me so the Mm -hmm. fact that you know the original cover had in you know some indicia across the top and you know all the all the logos and, and everything um i like that that's there and uh i agree i think it brings it all together yeah, man. Lovely stuff. Lovely stuff. I don't have a third thing. So we're going to go right into this week's main topic. And uh, like like some of our main topics, this is going to be more of a freeform thing. I texted Scott earlier today about this idea, and it's been swimming around in my head for the better part of a week. And so we're going to see what becomes of it. But what, I, what I've been thinking about recently, or really having it come together recently, I'm trying to rethink writing a little bit. And in, in my novel classes, and I expect in many novel classes, if not all novel classes, people talk about the three components of being a writer, a, a fiction writer, a, a prose writer. 
and it's it's plot, it's character, and it's voice. Now, comic writing doesn't quite work like that, right? And and the more I think about comic writing, the more I've been thinking about comic writing, the more I think that there is a a triangle of comic writing, but it's slightly different. And it is plot. In other words, the large thing that's happening through this comic, right? The the plot. You know, again, we don't need to define plot too heavy. And then the action, right? The action writing. And then the third piece of writing is the dialogue writing. And again, somebody maybe somebody said this before in another way, but I I don't think I've read anything by Scott McCloud on it. And and if so, then whatever. Um, but but I think that's helpful because it's 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 a good way of letting all the writers know us writers either know or serve as a reminder that you really need to wear three sub hats when you're doing the writing. You need to craft a good plot. That's important. Then you need to understand how to write action well. So again, in terms of a comic script, that is everything that is not spoken. You know, the plot and the, I mean, the plot is the larger thing and it does reveal itself through everything that's not being spoken and everything that's being spoken, but it's basically the overarching thing. And then you have the action, which is what the person is drawing, right? Like that's the component of drawing. And then you have the dialogue, which is what you're doing. It specifically as a writer, right? Like the writer has the most direct control over dialogue because it's all them. Action and plot are things that are them, but may also be shared between the writer and the artist. And that's why, you know, thinking about the way that you've done some of your Drawtober books made me think about it because in, in some of those cases, you're serving as the action writer and the plot writer, and then Ed is coming in to do the dialogue writing. Mm-hmm. Um you know, another another a movie that I think about a lot in terms of this respect is a movie, you know, like, look, we can we can talk about movies a little bit here is the first Pacific Rim movie. And my standard line about Pacific Rim, I mean, Pacific Rim is a really fun. I love it. I love Pacific Rim. But some of the dialogue's kind of crappy. Some <laughs> yeah. of the characters are kind of wooden. And you could argue that that's what gives it some of its charm, right? It is a it is one of the best B movies you'll ever see. And the person who wrote, so you you have to figure that you have to give the credit to the person who's listed as the writer. And the person who's listed as the writer, so let's say the person who's listed as the writer did all the writing, which is a fair assumption to make, right? The okay, so sure, the characters are a little wooden and the dialogue's a little clunky, but the action set pieces in it are fantastic. And therefore, that writer deserves credit. You know, a lot of times the writers don't get enough credit for the action that they're crafting underneath the waves that tends to get credited to the director, the special effects teams, the actors, and all those people. And look, they all deserve their piece of the credit. But the person that put it on a piece of paper and crafted that action in the first place also gets some of the credit. I like thinking about it that way because it makes you realize that, you know, to, to like there's this baseball term called being a five-tool player. Right. Meaning you you have everything. And I think in terms of writing comics, it, it's good to remember the ideal of being a three tool writer that you need to be good at plot and you need to be good at action and you need to be good at dialogue, which, you know, if you're going novel to, to comics is sort of the way of you're, you're going to reveal your most character through dialogue. You can do it in the art for sure. But dialogue is where you're going to reveal the most of it in, in terms of a comic format. So anyway, I, I don't know. It's just something I've been thinking about. Go ahead. 
Um, yeah, they actually have a term for that, the style too, beyond Marvel Method. If the artist is directing a lot of what's going on in the book, um, and the writer is coming in essentially to put the dialogue in only, um, they're called, it's called scripter. So if you ever mm. look in a comic credit and it says, you know, uh, this guy, scripter, what had happened was the artist or, or whoever else was in control, more than likely the artist. So Rob Liefeld uses scripters a lot. So mm-hmm. he'll think of the plot. He'll draw the book. He'll tell he, I think he uses Jeff Loeb a lot or Scott Lobdell, one of those two guys. And he'll go, okay, this is what's going on in the story. This is the plot of the story. You know, they're going to go get this and yada, yada, yada. And then, you know, those writers will go, oh, okay. So they'll go in, they'll drop all the dialogue because they know these characters. More than likely, it's a Marvel character or IDW, something like that. And so they know how those characters sound. And then I think, you know, the artist, I don't know if the artist has to approve on it, uh, depending how much power is going on there. I'm not quite sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And then go, yeah, this sounds good. Everything looks good. You know, move forward. Um, so yeah, if you ever see the difference in the writing credit where it says writer or in another book, it says scripter, that's actually what's going on. That's awesome. So, I mean, that's good. You know, like the danger of me thinking about a topic like this is always the no shit asshole factor, you know, like, of course that's how people think about it. You know, like, congratulations, Keith, you arrived here, but we've been here. No, man, it's, it's great to think about stuff like this. I think about comics and different ways all the time so it's like honestly i wouldn't even know that if i didn't listen to rob liefeld's podcast that's why i used him specifically um nice yeah there's a instance i think uh i think nathan fabieza i think that's the guy's name he was the scripter on Mm x-force and just because of how things worked at marvel at the time whoever was running marvel they basically got partial credit for for like creating those characters. So I think Nathan Fibieza or whatever his name is, um, he's technically part creator of Deadpool when he had no, he had nothing to do with Deadpool being created at all. So it's now he owns three boats, right? right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that's, I mean, so that, that's good. And, and if I'm, if I'm just talking more about it to, to take this novel idea and sort of port it, over into comics you know the adage when we talk about writing novels is that you're probably naturally good at one of those things and you're naturally really weak at one of those things and figure out what those things are because that's going to dictate what you need to work on i know i've mentioned this before on the podcast because my weakness is character the thing that i view as my strength is plot and voice tends to come naturally um because your voice is anything, you know, we're not here to talk too much about voice and all that stuff. Cause again, voice doesn't have anywhere near the presence in comic books that it does in, in prose, but, um, it's still helpful to think about like that. And I think on that note with comics, it's also helpful to note, like, are you, are you a great plotter, but your dialogue could use some work? Where are you in terms of writing and crafting action? You know, something you've said a lot, Scott, is you pride yourself on your fight choreography, So that would mean that, you know, if you're assessing yourself, I'm pretty damn sure that you're going to make action the thing that you are strong at, you know, and and then go from there. So to the people out there that are writing or to the artists that are serving some of these writing roles, I think it's helpful to know what things you are good at and what things you do best and therefore what things you need to work on, you know, because 
I'm also going to parlay this into a book that I remember coming across, I don't know, 22 years ago or something. It's one of those, it's one of those typical business bullshit books. I don't know if we've talked about business bullshit books before, but I don't think so. Yeah, so like the kind of books that people go gaga for in corporate America, like Who Moved My Cheese or Know Your Parachute or whatever, like that kind of shit, right? The thing about a lot of these books is you can sum them up in one to two sentences. And and those one or two sentences end up becoming part of the gestalt, right? Like they're good thoughts and they're thoughts that are helpful to people. However, people then try to write a 270-page book out of it. And you end up with just a whole lot of extraneous nonsense. You know, like what color is your parachute? You ready for the summary summary of what color is your parachute? Make sure you set up a good retirement for yourself. That's the book. (laughs) That's the fucking book. You know, who moved my cheese? You ready for the summary of that? Yeah. Make sure that when, when people, when you're changing something about the way people work, Make sure that they're comfortable with that change. And if they're not comfortable with that change, figure out a comfort zone where you can communicate that change to them. That's the fucking book, okay? And and there's plenty of books like that. So I set this up because there's a book that I read one time called Now Know Your Strengths. And what I really liked about this book was that there's this, again, we're distilling it down into two sentences, but there's this adage that To know your strengths and know your weaknesses means that you need to spend your time shoring up your weaknesses. And what this book talks about, in a way, I I like to think, um, I I got my idea about writing versus art from this book, right? Because for me, there was a period, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, whenever, and it, it even happens every now and then where I'm like, maybe I should learn to draw. But, but what I end up going to is this idea from now know your strengths, which is, ah, but the but if I take an hour learning to draw, I'm going to make myself go from flat out terrible to somewhat flat out terrible. <laughs> but if I take that hour and I learn to write better, then hopefully I'm going from good to great or great to above great or above great to excellent. Right. And, and that it's a it's it's what you want to do is you want to shore up your weaknesses to the point where they're not glaring. And then you really want to put all of that extra time, as much extra time as you can, into your strengths, right? So bringing this back into this three-pronged idea, know what you're weak at, and then either shore it up just enough to get by or outsource it, right? Like that's the beauty of the comics industry. And then take that thing you're fantastic at and get even better at it so that you're world-class at it. You know, go from good to great to excellent to world-class. Absolutely. No, I definitely agree with that. Um, It's like... Uh, I was talking to my girlfriend about this uh, maybe a month or so ago at this point, and something was wrong with the sink. The sink was leaking in the bathroom, and I'm not that handy of a person, honestly. I have never put any effort into trying to be handy because I'm good at drawing. So what I can do is yeah. instead of become like trying to learn how to be a shitty plumber, I can just draw something and then pay the plumber to do it. Because he's good at it. He's good at what he does, and I'm good at what I do. So I don't see the point in me trying to learn how to become a plumber when I can just do the thing that I'm already good at and uh, get paid to do it and then pay that guy. Totally. (laughs) Totally. There's a a hilarious old Saturday Night Live sketch from the 70s where I can't remember who the player is. I think it's like there's a one-on-one basketball game between, let's say, Walt Frazier from the Knicks 
and Paul Simon of Simon and Garfunkel, right? <laughs> and Marv Albert, because it's a Saturday Night Live skit, they're interviewing him and they're like, well, Paul, you know, what's your what's your plan of attack here? And he's like, well, you know, in going up against Walt Frazier, I really plan to stick to my strengths, which are singing and songwriting. <laughs> <laughs> so in a way that's sort of what we're talking about right, right? yeah like, exactly stick to your strengths make them better and then if you if you can make the weaknesses less glaring by all means do so but again comics afford you the opportunity to outsource that stuff too and look there's stuff in comics that you could learn to do that won't be too time consuming something we talk about a lot on here is lettering keith and i have both taught ourselves how to letter it's something that you can do it's not too time consuming yeah if you look at our early issues lettering's not great if you look at our current stuff, lettering wouldn't even know that we were the ones doing it. You would think that a professional letter was the one lettering the book. You know, yep. well, you know. In in my estimation, I I would say that's true. Yeah, totally. So I don't want to toot yeah. our horns too much, but if you look at our first works with lettering compared to what we do now, you would think it was professional level work. So totally, that's and, something and... that you can do on the side that doesn't affect your main gig: writing, drawing, whatever it is. Absolutely. And I think I mentioned this um, last time when I was lettering up uh, the current issue of Kadoja that's on Kickstarter right now. I'm actually enjoying it way more in terms of writing because you get to rewrite your stuff. You know, Gary talked about this, too. You punch up the dialogue, you change it. So the meaning is the same, but the words fall different. And ideally, they're better. So as a writer, I think there's a lot of value in doing your own lettering. And yes, it's a blessing and a curse to be able to edit yourself. But I think it's more a blessing than a curse. You know, like writers never stop editing, right? Like, like you never, I mean, there are plenty. I can't think of a single writer who doesn't pick up a book that they've done that's been in print for years. And they'll just be like, ah, I don't like that sentence. You know, like you never stop. You never stop yeah, doing artists, that. You just have the to. Same way. And somebody and somebody said this too. Yeah, in one of our hardest part of making comics, you got to know when to stop and hit print, and then move on to the next thing. Yep, absolutely. Anyway, um, I was doing that with Wanderers today. So I was working on the Zipatones, and I came across a couple of things that I just didn't like. I was like, I don't like the way that panel looks. You know, it's like I. It was one of the earlier pages in the issue that I drew, and it had been a year or so where I had even been in the Wanderer's world. So I was still kind of finding my way again. And looking at that page, I was like, that's no good. So I ended up I ended up correcting some of it. I was like, totally. let me add some of this. Let me add some of that. Let me change the way that looked. It didn't take very long, but I edited myself because I had the time and, and the page was right there. So Oh, hell yes. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait till both of us get our hands on um, collected volumes or omnibuses. Oh, goodness. You know, yeah. like it's on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I will definitely be changing the lettering and changing wording and doing all that stuff. Well, I know but, I'm uh, doing that for volume two of Second Shift is uh, like just the trade paperback, not even the hardcover. Um, I do want to go through the lettering in a lot of the those issues and just correct them while I can, because there will be a Kickstarter for the second volume. And while that's going on, that that's the only work that needs to really take place. I just I need to draw the cover, do the credits page, and fix all the lettering. You know, like any anything that I see that's glaring, I'm gonna adjust it. Why not? Yep. Absolutely. You have that opportunity, so why not do it? Totally, totally. So anyway, so that was our uh, that was our main topic, which means hey, we're, you know, fifty plus minutes in and it's it's time to bring some bullshit, brother. What what bullshit do you have? Oh man, so I got something I'm going to tell you off the air. It's it's not... Yes. It's yes. So that needs to be off the air. But 
I had a nice drought of me buying stuff on eBay. And then I guess I did a little dance. And then the rain gods, uh, you know, drizzled upon me. And I got a couple of books. I actually won a couple of auctions. And uh, one of them, West Coast Avengers 45. Hey, first white vision. First white vision, yeah. So yeah. I got that. That's that's over there in my collection. I get it. I got it for twenty two bucks. So it's a great price. Yeah, I was really happy about that. And um, I got another. This one was a complete random one. This was one of those ones where you have the saved auctions, right? Like, oh, mm-hmm. you know that you get every morning in the email. Well, this was just like a random one amongst the thing that I was looking for. There, oh yeah, there's also this book, and I'm like, hey, Iron Man one twenty eight. Um, that is the demon in the bottle cover. So oh, nice. Yeah. So I was just like, let me watch this one. That price seems pretty reasonable right now. Let me see what I can get it for. And, uh, I got that along with two other books for 43 bucks. So I thought that was yeah. a pretty good price on that. Yeah. It was like nice. three iron, uh, iron man, 90, 128, and 158, all for 43 bucks. So I was pretty nice. happy with that. Yeah. That's normally a 45 to $60 book on the low end so the fact that i got those three for 43 was was pretty awesome and then um the last book i got this um so my best friend he gave me some ebay gift cards and happy belated by the way oh thank you thank you yeah um and this has been on my list for a while it was uncanny x-men 97 it's the first appearance of lilandra um uh from the shiar and so yeah, it's been on my list list for a while, and I managed to get that. I think I got that for sixty bucks. So okay, yeah, still had forty bucks left over in my my gift cards, and then I got uh you know the White Vision book. So and then a little bit of the other one too. So not yeah. bad, not too bad. Not bad. Okay, okay, yeah. So for me, as as you know, Scott, if I was going through a drought, then I basically just conjured up like a death tornado last Sunday, <laughs> like. It was a, I had, I had some time. You know, the thing about my days at Monster Palooza was as good as they were, the first 45 minutes were completely dead every single day. It's just an amazing law of nature that I will be dead the first 45 minutes to two hours of every single show ever. And I have great shows. It does not matter, you know, but, but in the meantime, I was, you know, I'd, I'd had, I had, you know, I had a good Phoenix and I was two of three days into a good Monster Palooza, and I'm like, you know, I got a little time here. I've got these books that have just been bubbling up in my brain. Let me see if I can get a good deal. And I ended up getting a bunch of good deals. In fact, what did I what did I text you and Gary in the in the the group chat? I think I said uh, the the most interesting part of my day is that I put three insanely low ball offers in, and. I don't know if I'm going to get any, but it's a fun thing to hope, <laughs> right? And so the first thing I put an insane lowball option in for, drink up, bitches, is a Star Wars number one from Marvel. Oh. And so, uh, like like I showed you before, and by the way, it just showed up, suckers. Oh, right on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so 30 this is cent? The, yeah, this 30 is the- 30 cent cover? It's the 30 cent. This is the one where the person listed it and they said it was near mint except a mouse nibbled on the cover. And if you remember, Scott, I sent you a picture and it was like, you can't even tell. It looks like a standard small torn corner. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yep. I don't know if the near mint pro- proclamation is true, but basically 
like, so I was just telling my wife about this, just like telling her, hey, check out these cool deals I got, you know? And I said, uh, the way that I look at this kind of stuff is, what condition did I pay for? Like, what grade did I pay for, right? And this comic, I basically, if if it's a 4.0, I still got a bargain. This is cheaper than a 4.0. And so, and then it's funny because I was telling that exact stuff to my wife. She's like, you going to slab it? And I was like, I'm thinking of it. What do you think? And she's like, well, you know, it's your decision. And I'm like, that wasn't what I asked you. I asked, (laughs) I asked, what do you think? And she's like, I'd probably slab it. And I'm like, that's what I'm thinking too. Because I mean, if this thing comes back as a six or a seven, which I think it's got a great shot despite the small tear or missing corner, um, then all of a sudden it's an insane value. So that was the first thing. I have been looking for this. I've been waiting for the right price since good old May the 4th. Because on May the 4th, I had the idea of looking for Star Wars number one. And uh, and this this interesting copy came up, and I was like, that seems like a pretty good price. And by the time I got home and researched it, it was gone. Because it was a good price. Oh. Yeah. And so I've been, I, I you know, there was this period where it was the whole, don't chase the dragon, Keith, don't chase the dragon. Right? Like that kind of thing. And um, so that was thing number one. Then the second thing that I put a really low ball offer in on, and by the way, I put the low ball offer in, but then the person countered with a still great price. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'm good. I did the same thing with this. I put in a super low ball offer. The person countered with a good price. And therefore I got Sandman number four. Oh, okay. So now this is spurred on by the fact that the Sandman trailer dropped. Let me think about this. Yeah, I knew that the Sandman trailer had dropped, and something I've told you before is I was just going to keep an eye out on when this release date is for Sandman. It is August 5th, so it's coming out. It looks fantastic. I'm excited, and this has a chance to like break through to people that aren't Sandman fans and become a bit more mainstream than us Sandman nerds have been used to for the last 30 years. So it's time. And by the way, by the time this airs, I've either bought it all or I've decided I don't want to, you know, because I am... You know, to jump ahead, I have also been filling a lot of gaps. You know, to quote the great Scott Lost, I've been coming close to cleaning the run. And uh, I'm down to only a few issues left. And I'm putting myself on notice that I'm either going to get them by the time this airs or I'm going to be okay not. You mm-hmm. know, because again, right now I think I have about 67 of the 75 issues. Oh, I have wow. all of the I have all of the big, big, big dollar issues. And now it's a lot of these medium issues that are like seven to 22 bucks or something like that, that I just have to make a decision on, you know? Oh yeah. Get them um, now. Cause those are going to be yeah. 40. Exactly. So anyway, so this, this is the, uh, first Lucifer, in oh, the yeah. Sandman right continuity, cool, which of course is now its own TV show. And then for the, for the coup de gras, is that right? Maybe yes. the PS de resistance. Yes, um, Both this one was one. So here we go, bitch. Star Wars 68. Oh, so is that cover? Not awesome. Yeah. That's an awesome cover. Like it's a glorious cover, and and uh, I believe this is like the first hint of the Mandalorians in the Marvel Star Wars run. Okay, and so what Scott notices uh, by me holding it up, it is it is a slab book, and I'm not big on having a lot of slab books because I like my signature pieces to sort of be minimal, you know. So this is now the third slab book I have, but the reason I got it is because. The price for this 6.0 slabbed is was cheaper than any five I could find not slabbed, and it's like, you know why? Why that do is? I not? Yeah, it's because the promise of it being more than a five. 
That's yeah. what it is. It, yeah. That's what everyone banks on is people describing it as a certain number saying, no, I think I can get a better number out of that. I think if yeah. I have it pressed and cleaned, that could be a nine, you know, or a yep. seven or something like that. So yep. if you get the slab, then it's a guarantee six or five or whatever the number is going to be. Totally. So that's the that's the reason why there's a lesser value. You know, what's funny, too, is I got a couple of slab books a long time ago uh, before the pandemic. And if it was not a nine point eight, people weren't paying shit for them. So I got a couple of really great steals that they were like 9.6, 9.4, 9.2. And like they were just a fraction of a 9.8. And then right. time goes on. And then it's like, oh, yeah, no, no, I would get a 9, 9.4. I would take a 9.6. Right. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, it, honestly, it's the, the difference is so minor that I was just picking them up. Like to me, it didn't matter. I was like, it's still in the nines. As long as it's in the totally. nines, I'm happy. So, totally. um, yeah, I got a couple of good ones. I think the Jim Lee first appearance of the Asian Psylocke, um, that whole storyline, I think I got all three of them slabbed for, yeah. I think, like 26 bucks, which was the cost of slabbing, I think. So yeah, it, yeah. it was like, that's, the book was I, yeah, free. That, that's the way I look at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For, for me, it's like the way that I calculate value on a slab book is I, I say, OK, here's the value of it unslabbed, add 10 percent and then add the price of the slab. You know, like you, you pay a slight premium for the fact that it's graded and then you need to add in the cost of the slab itself because everybody does that, you know, but, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, look, you and I are not using this as some launching point to have our own a spinoff show where we call ourselves like mint gold 9.8 or something like that. And then talk <laughs> about, talk about how to get dope ass books, you know, but um, I think what we're all talking about here, you and I, is just finding finding the opportunity in the market when you're ready to exploit it and then jumping, right? Yeah. Like, that's really all it is. And, finding uh, undervalued again, books, too, is totally. huge for yeah, me. Just it's like, yeah, yeah why, and that, why pay for the 9.8 when exactly. I think in, in a little bit people are going to appreciate these just as much. So. Exactly. And, and, but it, and another way of looking at it is, you know, like if you're, if you're paying market price for a 9.8, then the the only thing you're counting on is for that book appreciating from that point on because yep. you're paying 100% of the price but the nice thing about this this 6.0 that I got is that in theory I could turn it around for a profit today because I got it at a good price you mm-hmm. know um and and uh, another thing you mentioned Scott by the way is that when I was looking at what you know I was like okay you know can I get a Star Wars 68 at a good price I swear to God, every Star Wars '68 that seemed like a five or or lower that was that supposedly would have been a good opportunity, not in very good condition. Mm. I thought they were even being optimistic about it. I thought they were kind of crappy, and so it's like at the moment this seems like you know that like again it feels like the market opportunity there is just to get a goddamn thing that's slabbed, you know. So anyway, um, good stuff, good stuff. But and then as a postscript. Um, I, I went ham on Sandman. <laughs> so this was actually the first Sandman book I got. It showed up. And since then, I've gone pretty ham. And again, I'm down to maybe eight issues or so that I need. Oh, to yeah. Get. Clear that run, my friend. Clear it. It's I. It's there's so little left. Why would you not? You know what I mean? Oh, totally. Totally. I mean, the, the thing that's annoying and like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe this is just me being annoyed that the price of some of these books is too high. Right. But let's take a book like. 
Sandman 11, okay? Sandman 11 has the first appearance of something called Fiddler's Green. Who the fuck cares? But people are pricing it because it's the first, you know, Sandman 8, I get. It's the first appearance of death. Everybody loves Neil Gaiman's death or the version of Neil Gaiman's death that's going to be in the series, which, by the way, if people haven't seen the trailer, Scott, it ain't going to be you even if you're seeing it anyway, but the trailer's dope as fuck. The show looks awesome. Love it. I'll watch I'll watch that trailer. I have no uh, sentimental attachment to it, so and like I know nothing about it. So that's for me, better, it's, it's like, okay, I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah, man. Yeah, so uh, so anyway, um, but yeah, I... I It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. But yeah, I mean, again, I I keep hearing you in my brain going clean that run. And and like I've told you, I've been waiting for the date because the 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 gamble that I'm doing is that Sandman's going to come out and that it's going to expand its audience. And when it expands its audience, then more people are going to want these same books like happened with Invincible. I gave that example to somebody the other day that you had said where the audience for Invincible expanded. And before you knew it, all your five dollar books were 20. You know, so, um, so yeah, that's what I'm trying to beat right now. All right on, man. Hell yeah. Clear that run, get it done. And then you can tell everyone when the show comes out. Yeah. I have that whole single, I have the whole series, all the single issues for that. I have it all. And since we're on the subject, I have Star Wars 68 slabbed. Do you? That totally, you know, that, that, that has dick to do with Sandman, but I don't care. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't care. I'm just, oh, I'm I was thinking 68 was the uh, first appearance of. Boba Fett. What, what's his first appearance? 42. The fucking 42. one you shared you with go. me, you son yes. of a bitch. If, and well, that's the weird thing. Like, did you know that I had bought one in 68? And no. then you basically, you're sharing, you're sharing the goddamn one I don't have. And I'm yeah, like, that, well, cause that, I Stop. shared that one. Cause that's the one that uh, we had talked about. I didn't yeah. know you're looking Stop for reading that my one diary. too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Was that, is that a good price? What I sent you? No. Okay. Really. I didn't think so. No. I was like, that seems pretty high. I thought... It is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It is. But it's okay. I mean, you, you shared it from a shop, and shops aren't here. You know, like, in some cases, you can get a good deal at a shop, mm-hmm. and in some cases, just hunting for eBay is the better way to go. You know, I personally find that, um, even though I already own it now, um, Spider-Man 361, First Carnage, is substantially lower online than you will find it in any store. Mm. Um, and there are plenty of other books like that where, like, there's no way in hell you should ever buy that thing at a store. Just buy it online. And yeah. uh, I, I think Star Wars 42 is one of those as well. Okay. For, that makes sense. For all, those, for all those people that want it, yeah. grab Take, take a couple drinks because we've been talking Star Wars and then, uh, and then get it on eBay. <laughs> um, all right, man. You got anything else? Nope. That's it. All right, bro. I got some stuff so, for you offline, but uh, of course, not, of not course. on the episode. <laughs> well, but but before we get to that, you can find me uh, on social media. I am an Instagram guy, so you can either find me at Keith underscore Invader. That is more well-rounded stuff. That's three protectors. It's Kadoja. It's my life. It's quotes. It's pictures, and uh, also at Kadoja Kaiju. That's all one word, and that is giant monsters all the time. And you can find me at Twitter and Instagram at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yep. And in terms of websites, look, KeithRFoster.com is there waiting for you 100% of the time. But what's not waiting for you 100% of the time is the fact that if you're getting this before noon Pacific on the Monday that this comes out, Kadoja Volume 4 Kickstarter is about to close. That is issue number one. It is Symphony of Madness, number one. And it is starting the new arc. 
And it's got some awesome covers, including the one we've been talking about by your boy, Scott Lost. It looks awesome. It'll look even more awesome in your collection. So head over to Kickstarter, back Kadoja Symphony of Madness number one before time runs out. And also back Wanders of Melisande 3. Um, I have until July 1st at noon, so you have a little bit more time with mine. So make sure to get to Keith's first. And then after you back that one, go back mine. Uh, there's some cool stuff there, including the Scott Shaw um, Flintstones-esque cover. And I actually did... Oh, that was something I forgot to mention. You I actually forget. Yeah, yeah, I actually redid the Wanders of Melisande logo to look like the Flintstones logo. And that yeah. was kind of a fun treat to do. So um, go check that out. Look at my efforts on top of Scott Shaw's cover there. And then there's also a Shaheen Lajouis, uh variant cover. That is the Kickstarter exclusive cover and will only be available on Kickstarter. So you can get either one of those or you can get my standard cover. Uh, Emily Rocha is coloring it right now and physically. The one that you see on the Kickstarter is a digital version. It's a digital mock-up. Um, but yeah, she's working on the physical painting right now which is awesome and i'll be posting her updates when she sends them to me and it's always cool to watch her work she's very talented i love i love her painting and she's just such a great talent so check that out and you can go to accidentalaliens.com if you want to pick up some of my other books second shift the tale of minimum wage workers during the day and superheroes at night and then Wanders of Melisanda. again the kickstarter is live right now you can get issues one through three um but if for some reason you're listening to this after that Kickstarter is over, accidentalaliens.com, you can get those there. Yeah. Speaking of podcasts, because I know we've been talking about podcasts a lot. We've been doing it just so much. You can give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Did you like that segue? I thought it was really subtle and well It was done. solid and subtle, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Apple Podcasts, give us five stars and throw us some words. Spotify, give us five stars. We've We've been over how you own the algorithms, right? Again, algorithms are just things that take the behavior that's being done and then try to apply that to influence future behavior. So when you give us five stars, you're actually helping people find the podcast. That's the cool part about it, you know? And look, we've all seen Terminator, all 35 of them, and they all end the same way. Fuck the robot gods and fuck algorithms. I'm pretty sure every Terminator from the T1 to the T1000 to the T1 million, which is actually in that Universal Studios ride that I went on one time. All of them had algorithms in them. And if you'd have just controlled the algorithms early in their infancy, then the Terminators could have killed people for you. So so that. <laughs> or you can go to making uh, <laughs> comics podcast at gmail.com and let us know how you feel about algorithms and how they control you and if that's true <laughs> uh, we need to know how so uh, yeah. making comics we podcast need to, we need to control the goddamn terminators already <laughs> yeah. save the cheerleader save the world i think that's something yeah else. i don't know yeah. it might be it sounds familiar um all right man is that it we did it that's it we did it world's best cup we of made coffee it we made it through all right brother see you next week yeah, yeah.